Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome to the 30th episode of the PEM podcast. I don't know, we're in 30s. We're in the 30s. I wish I was in my 30s. Remember I, your 30s? I am in my 30s. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Yes, 29 for the 20 something time. Um, yeah, I think 31, 32, you know, tomato, tomato, whatever, who cares? Pen podcast, the psychic eye mystery podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Laurie with my fabulous sister, Sandy. Uh, we are coming to you, uh, each from our homes in our separate summer places. Um, how's it, how's the weather there? Is it it's hot? It's been, it's been ridiculously hot and today wow. it finally broke. So, oh, wow. So it's nice out. Uh, it's very humid. So I, I can't oh. go there yet with respect to it's nice out, but it's less hot, which is good. Okay, well, you got to come visit me in Michigan because it's like, it's, it's perfect. It's perfect. Mid seventies, low sixties in the morning. It's like, you know, this summer has been really kind of amazing. We had two terrible days, heat indexes in the nineties, temperature in the low nineties, lots of humidity, but you know, two days of suffering was no big deal compared to the summers past or summer spent in Texas. That's for damn sure. Um, anyway. Okay. So we've got, um, we've got more on the, um, JFK, the Kennedy kind of family. We're sort of exploring some of the mysteries around them. You know what I was thinking today? It's really interesting that this, this one family really has been kind of a whirlpool of tragedy, mm-hmm. not only for members of the family, but like extenuate, ex- extended family and friends. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So like, you know, I don't believe in curses, but shit, I don't want to go shake any of the Kennedy's hands. I actually sat next to Eunice Kennedy and Sergeant Shriver at a baseball game. Um, for the whole baseball game for the, it was the, whatever team play plays for the Cardinals, Maryland Cardinal, the, I don't know. The Baltimore Orioles. Thems. <laughs> I knew it was a bird. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I was trying to, I was talking, I was, I had a client last night and his dad came in and his dad was um, wearing a baseball hat and my client was wearing a baseball hat and it was just this really cool little reunion because his dad was so excited um, to connect with his son over um, baseball and his dad kept showing me like a four, four leaf clover and a um, poker chip and connecting me to October and I'm like bet on the world series dude yep. your dad says you're going to be lucky but don't bet at all because yeah. I don't want you to come back at me and go I lost everything right so um, I'm not a gambler are you a gambler? Have you ever no. been a gambler? No. <laughs> no. Yeah. I won $100 in a slot machine once and I came home and put it in the safe. Like, you know, <laughs> everybody was mad at me that I didn't buy dinner or something. I'm like, no, my hundred. Oh gosh. I, I've never, I've, I've, been, I've been to Texas, excuse me, Vegas a couple of times and I've played the penny slots, but I have like never won a single thing, nothing. And um, I think the most I have ever spent on the petting slots was like 20 bucks. Um, but I was bored out of my mind. There really wasn't anything else to do in that. I went out for a book conference. So I was in between like panels. So yeah. Yeah. I'm not a fan of the Vegas, not, not a fan of the gambling and the Vegas and the smoking and the, the whole thing, the whole vibe, not into it. Well, a few years ago, I went whitewater rafting down the Colorado river with my sons and husband 
And it wasn't until we were actually on the plane flying to Arizona in a little small puddle jumper to the point where, you know, the ranch where we were going to take off from that we discovered there were no bathrooms on this trip. And we were going to have to sleep on the riverbank uh, on the overnight. And I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. And I was the one that booked the vacation. So we make our way down the river. It was, you know, breathtaking, (laughs) beautiful, sleep on the banks. What did you do if you had to go to the bathroom? They called it a honey pot that they kind of hid around. Well, if you had to pee, you had to pee in the river. What? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it this? It's whitewater rafting. So the river's raging, right? So well, how do you, at, what at do you point, yes, but it, as you're peeing? You, there was a rope that you kind of hung yourself off the edge. Oh of my the, God. Yeah. Wow. Not, not the most comfortable trip, but in any event, <laughs> because we left from Las Vegas and returned to Las Vegas, we had checked our baggage into the hotel when we left and then came back. And when we showed up to get our bags, we were drenched in like river water and smelled of, you know, never having showered. And Ode to river was, water. Ode to river water. It was the most luxurious shower I've ever had in my life. Mm. Like I couldn't wait. And the suite had a um, washer dryer. So I was able to wash everything oh, before. Oh, wow. We That's nice. Home, but yeah. I've never gotten over the failed description. No bathrooms. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Wow. Well, see, you were the test pilot. Now I never have to do that. No, you do not. Thank you. Thank you for taking one for the team. You are welcome. So appreciate that. Yeah. Whitewater rafting just doesn't sound, um, we have a, we have a, my best friend and our very dear friend, Leanne, her father, (laughs) he went whitewater rafting and he fell off the back of the boat and they couldn't get him back in. Like he just kept going further down the river. And this man was in his seventies at that point and like very, very nearly drowned. Um, So yeah, those are the, the, your story. And then Leanne's I'm good. I'm really, I'm good. Really. It's actually a lot of fun. So save for the bathrooms. Next lifetime. I'll save that for the next lifetime. Okay. So um, book promotion. So before we even started recording, I'm like, okay, we're on this book. And I'm like, I don't know what it's about. I wrote it, um, fuck, I think I wrote it like 15 years ago um, and haven't read it since. Um, so this is the, this is after kind of perusing and kind of like looking, oh yeah, I think this is this one. Um, this is the first book that is set down in Texas and Abby is assigned along with her husband to the Cold Case Bureau set in Austin. And um, this is a completely fake bureau um, and I made it up because when I was doing my research, when I was living down in Texas, I discovered that the Bureau at that time did not have an Austin um, office. They had one, which to me sounds really weird. Like, why wouldn't they? Say that there were 800,000 people in the city at that time. Like, why wouldn't you have an FBI Bureau there? I, they might have one now, but they didn't have one then. They had one in Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, um, El Paso, but they didn't have one in Austin. Now I'm, I'm thinking they probably do. Anyway, so I signed in a cold case bureau um, and <clears throat> Abby goes to work solving some cases and she's being given a rough time by the other agents who are unfamiliar with her talents and abilities. Um, and she befriends Oscar. Uh, this is where she befriends Oscar and Oscar becomes a very staple character in the rest of the series. He's still one of my all-time favorites. And I don't know if I've told you this, but he is actually based on a character from The Closer, um, uh, whose name I think was Oscar. No, I can't remember what his name was. Um, 
but that's who he's based on. He's based on that character because I really, really, I love the closer. Uh, uh, Kira Sedgwick, please, come on. She was fabulous in that. Um, so based Oscar, based on one of those detectives and um, hijinks ensue um, in this one. So Abby's got to try and solve a case with Candace um, after they get suspended and kick, kind of kicked off the cold case um, bureau, for, like not obeying the rules. Go figure, Abby, not obey the rules. What? That's crazy talk. Um, so yeah, so it's a it's a one of those. This is I do remember that this is one of like a closed loop kind of um, mystery, which are my favorites, where you don't think things are connected, you don't see how they're connected, they can't possibly be connected, and then everything connects. So um, those are my favorite kind of mysteries to sort of write. Um, and for the listening audience, the title of the book is... Oh, sorry. <laughs> A Glimpse of Evil. Whatever. This is why I have you, to keep me on track. Yeah. 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 Oops. Um, so anyway, okay, anecdote. Um, this one was last week. I think this was last week, midweek. Um, was reading for a woman. And sometimes like... Sometimes it's just so clear and everything fits so well. There just isn't like a misstep or a misinterpretation. And I was having one of those uh, nights with this, with this woman and her grandmother came through and then her uh, father figure came through and it turned out this was her stepfather who really was her father. And um, so <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm going, I'm going, well, I don't know if he felt you know, uh, terrible towards the end, or if he was incapacitated, but he feels amazing now. And she's kind of like confused. Right. And I'm like, cause he is just flexing. He's, you know, doing this and this. And she goes, Oh, his last name was strong. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, that, maybe that's it. <laughs> and meanwhile, I get to flex my muscles. Boom. Yeah. The beach is that way. Anyway, um, and then um, her grandmother came in and was showing me um, like cucumber sandwiches. And sometimes they'll show me something and I will be like, I don't want to say that. That sounds weird. And then they get kind of insistent. They keep showing me the thing. And I'm like, oh, God. So I'm like, okay, this is going to sound really weird. This is what I tell my client. This is going to sound really weird. But what's the deal with cucumbers and like cucumber sandwiches cucumbers did you do you eat them for lunch what she goes oh my god she goes i'm obsessed with cucumbers i did have them for lunch she's like i had a big old cucumber with salt loaded down for lunch i'm like okay you know time and time again when i'm like i don't want to say that it's something you know like perfect so um at least it know. wasn't an eggplant <laughs> We've entered the inappropriate portion of the, of the podcast. Only oh taken God. five minutes. We're good. <laughs> oh my God. A cucumber, or excuse me, that's right. It was an eggplant or a peach. Thank God it wasn't an eggplant and a peach. See, now I'm going to do a reading and some spirit on the other side is going to be like, ha ha ha, here's an eggplant and a peach. I'm just helping you along the way. That's all. No, thanks. Thanks for that. I appreciate that. I really do. Like, not at all. Anyway, um, so th that's my portion. Over to you, my dear sister. Doo -doo -doo -doo. Okay, so this is the second um, mystery 
associated with the Kennedy family out of the four that we plan to do. We did one last week on Marilyn Monroe. This week's is on Mary Pinochet Meyer. And the next two weeks will also feature um, cases of women who have um, met their demise at because of their involvement in some way, shape, or form with the Kennedy family. So, okay. So this is about Mary Pinochet Meyer. She was a mistress of John F. Kennedy. And it starts on October 14, 1964, was a gorgeous fall day in Washington, D.C. Around noon, artist Mary Pinochet Meyer left her Georgetown studio dressed in a light blue Angora sweater, cropped pants and sneakers, and headed for the Chesapeake and Ohio Canal towpath for her usual afternoon walk. At around 12.30 p.m., a 24-year-old tow truck driver named Henry Wiggins was attending to a disabled car on Canal Road, and he heard a woman cry out, Someone help me! Someone help me! Mr. W Wiggins then heard two gunshots, which prompted him to run to a low wall overlooking the towpath. As he glanced down, he noticed a black man dressed in a light jacket, dark pants, and a dark cap, standing over the body of, who was later determined to be, Mary Pinochet Meyer. Upon arrival to the crime scene, officers found Mary laying on her side, covered in blood, with a bullet hole in her left temple, which made it apparent she was very dead. At the time of her murder, it was not publicly known that Mary was the mistress of John F. Kennedy, nor that she was an ex-wife of a top CIA officer, Cord Meyer. A suspect, Ray Crump Jr., was arrested and charged with her murder, but he was ultimately acquitted. So the question is, was Mary the victim of a random act of gun violence, or was she assassinated because of her relationship with the two main men in her life? Mary was born in New York City on October 20th, 1920, the elder of two daughters of Amos and Ruth Pinochet. Amos was a wealthy lawyer and a key figure in the Progressive Party, and her mother, Ruth, Ruth was a journalist who wrote for such magazines as The Nation and The New Republic. Mary and her younger sister, Antoinette, known as Tony, were raised at the family's Gray Towers home in Milford, Pennsylvania. In 1935, as a student at the Brearley School while attending a dance with William Atwood at Choate, Mary met the soon-to-be-famous John F. Kennedy for the first time. After her graduation from Vassar in 1942, Mary pursued a career in journalism, writing for the United Press and Mademoiselle magazine. But as a pacifist and a member of the American Labor Party, Mary quickly came under the scrutiny of the FBI. Two years later, Mary met her future husband, Cord Meyer, a Marine Corps lieutenant. The two bonded immediately over their similar pacifist views, and after a quick engagement, they married on April 19, 1945. Their eldest child, Quentin, was born November, in November of 1945, followed by Michael in 1947. At that point, Mary settled down as a homemaker, and in her spare time, she attended classes at the Art Students League in New York. Shortly after the birth of their third child, Mark, in 1950, the Myers moved to Cambridge, but a year later, Cord was recruited by Alan Dulles to join the CIA, which required the family then to move to Washington, D.C., and it is there that the couple became highly visible members of Georgetown society. And that included friendships with Catherine Graham of the Washington Post and reporter James Truitt, his wife, noted artist Anne Truitt. In the summer of 1954, John F. Kennedy and his wife, Jackie, purchased the house in McLean, Virginia, next door to the Myers, which inspired a friendship between Mary and Jackie. In 1955, um, Mary's sister, Tony, married famed newsman Bed Bradley, who was then a Washington bureau chief of Newsweek magazine. Tragically, on December 18, 1956, the Myers' middle son, Michael, who was age nine at the time, was hit by a car near their home and he was killed. Although this tragedy brought Mary and Cord closer for a time, Mary ultimately filed for divorce in 1958. Following their divorce, Mary and her two surviving sons moved to Georgetown, 
where she took up painting in a converted garage studio at her sister's home. And supposedly the phone in that new home was tapped by the CIA. With her newfound freedom, Mary was out to have fun and meet interesting people. And as a result, she became friendly with Robert F. Kennedy, who had purchased her, his brother's house in Hickory Hill in 1957. Mary's friendship with the Kennedys led to several visits to the White House for various events. And it was on October 1961 that Mary began her affair with John F. Kennedy. She told her close friends, Anne and James Truett, that she was keeping a detailed account of her relationship with Jack in her diary. Jack also confided in his friend, Charles Bartlett, about his relationship with Mary. Bartlett claims that the president was not only smitten with Mary, but very much in love with her. So much so that in October 1963, one month before he was assassinated, Kennedy wrote a letter to Mary begging her to join him for a tryst. The unsent letter was written on White House stationery and was retained by Kennedy's personal secretary, Evelyn Lincoln. The letter read in part, why don't you leave for suburbia for once? Come and see me, either here or at the Cape next week or in Boston on the 19th. I know it is unwise, irrational, and that you may hate it, but on the other hand, you may not, and I will love it. You say that it is good for me not to get what I want? After all these years, you should give me a more loving answer than that. Why don't you just say yes? Signed, Jay. One month later, the president would be dead, and 11 short months after his assassination, 43-year-old Mary Pinochet Mara would be found murdered along the Chesapeake and Ohio Canal towpath that runs parallel to the Potomac River. Mary was shot twice in the left temple and once in the chest and was pronounced dead at 12.45 p.m. by authorities on scene. Around 1.15, the Metropolitan Police arrested Raymond Crump Jr., a 25-year-old laborer, and charged him with murder. Ray was found in the woods down by the Potomac. His clothes were wet and he had a cut on his hand. He claimed that he had been fishing, that he had dropped his fishing pole in the water and had entered the river to retrieve it. He then claimed that after drinking his beer, he grew sleepy and laid down on the riverbank for a nap. And after falling asleep, he again fell in the river. Mechanic Henry Wiggins identified Ray as the man he'd seen standing over Mary's body following the sound of gunshots. After he was booked for murder, police found his white jacket and cap floating in the river. And adding to suspicion, Ray's fishing rod was discovered in a closet where he lived on the other side of the city. The day after Mary's murder, a second witness, Army Lieutenant William L. Mitchell, came forward and told police that while he was jogging on the towpath the preceding day, he had seen a black man trailing a white woman, and he believed that woman was Mary. Mitchell's description of the man's clothing was like the clothing that Ray Crump had been wearing on the day in question. Investigators dispatched divers to the scene to search the canal and river bottom for the murder weapon, but it was never recovered. Ray's alcoholism, mental instability, and criminal record before Mary's murder made him the perfect suspect. At Ray's trial, his attorney, Dubby Johnson Roundtree, skillfully provided a stellar defense by introducing the following facts. Ray Crump was 50 pounds lighter and five inches shorter than the five foot eight inch, 185 pound male that mechanic Henry Wiggins had described to police. And although Lieutenant William L. Mitchell estimated the height of the man he claimed to have seen trailing Mary at, was at least five feet, eight inches, Mitchell was not able to positively identify Ray Crump as the suspect that he saw on that fateful day. An FBI forensic expert testified that Mary's body had two bullet wounds, one in the left temple and one in the back. The dark halos on the skin around both entry wounds suggested that the murder weapon had been fired at close range, possibly point blank. And the precision, placement, and instantaneous lethality of the wounds suggested that the DC medical examiner that the killer was highly trained in the use of firearms. Ray Crump was acquitted of all charges on July 29, 1965, and the murder to this day remains unsolved. 
With the verdict of not guilty, police physically escorted Ray to the border of the District of Columbia and Virginia and told Ray to never set foot in the district again. It was a cruel summons as Ray was a father of six underage children who all lived in D.C. Post-trial, three additional pieces of evidence seemed to support Ray's innocence. He had an alibi witness, a married woman with whom he was having a sexual encounter near the crime scene, was able to corroborate Ray's account of his actions on the day of Mary's murder. But unfortunately, the witness refused to testify at Ray's trial out of fear that her husband would find out about her unfaithfulness. Other post-trial revelations appear to corroborate his innocence, notably the likely presence of another Black man at the crime scene. And an FBI crime report withheld from the defense during the trial and published by Peter Janney in his book, Mary's Mosaic, documented that there was no forensic evidence linking Crump to the victim or the murder scene. Even though Mary had bled profusely from her head wound, there was no trace of her blood found on race, person, or clothing. The aftermath of this case is that on March 2nd, 1976, an issue of the National Enquirer reported that Mary Meyer had kept a diary of her two-year affair with JFK, and the paper quoted her sister, Tony, as confirming the existence of the affair and the diary. Tony stated that her husband, Ben Bradley, found the diary in Mary's studio after her death and turned it over to James Jesus Angleton, who subsequently burned it at CIA headquarters. Cord Meyer left the CIA in 1977. In his 1982 autobiography, Facing Reality, From the World of Federalism to the CIA, he wrote, quote, I was satisfied by the conclusions of the police investigation that Mary had been the victim of a sexually motivated assault by a single individual and that she had been killed in her struggle to escape. Cord went on to reject the journalistic speculation that his former wife's death had some other explanation. Who murdered Mary Pinochet Meyer? Was it Ray Crump? Another predatory assailant, or was it a government agent interested in keeping JFK's mistress silent? My sources for this story include Wikipedia, the New York Times, women painter shot and killed on Canal Towpath in Capitol, Mrs. Mary Pinochet Meyer was a friend of Mrs. Kennedy, suspect is arranged on 10-1464, and Smithsonian Magazine, 44 years later, a Washington, D.C. death unresolved. Mary Pinochet Meyer's death remains a mystery, but it's her life that holds more interest now by Lance Morrow, December, 2008. So what do you think happened? So I definitely think that, well, there are a couple things right off the bat. Um, I don't think her murder had anything to do with JFK or her husband. I really, really don't. There just isn't any substance there. There's no trail that leads to um, a cover-up of some kind. Um, and then diving into her life a little bit more, it's like, what kind of a threat would she have posed, you know, to, to, to them? I mean, JFK was sleeping with fucking everybody, you know, like if it moved, he was sleeping with it. So, um, from that standpoint, okay, he's got another affair going, you know, like uh, one more. Um, so I don't think that there was any, any need to murder the ex-wife of a CA, CIA operative agent um, and a top one at that um, because she had some secret affair with the president who died a year before, right? It just doesn't, there just isn't any, um, doesn't make sense why that would happen. <clears throat> as far as her diary is concerned, I don't feel like there was a lot there. I feel like Mary was um, a romantic, that she was an artist. Um, I don't think that she was divulging state secrets in her diary. I think that she was probably just kind of recording uh, encounters, conversations. Um, I don't think that she was necessarily 
interested in uh, state secrets. Um, she doesn't strike me as that kind of a personality. So there just really isn't a, a, a need that I can see to silence her a year after JFK dies. Just, I just don't see the link. Um, which leaves the probability that she was murdered because she was um, uh, trying to get away from a sexual predator. That I buy 100%. Um, I, I personally think Ray Crump did it. I really do. I think he did it. Um, the whole story about he lost his fishing pole in the river and jumped in to get it. And then he drinks and then he fell asleep and then he rolled into the river again. I mean, that all kind of sounds ridiculous, you know, um, especially since his fishing pole was found in his closet across town. Um, so there just are too many inconsistencies. Um, and, uh, I did a little bit more digging on him cause I was really suspicious of him. Um, and it turns out that he went on to rape other women and, uh, uh commit arson on a number of occasions. So <clears throat> he continued to sort of lead, uh, I don't want to say continue because I'm not sure what crimes he committed before, before he became a convicted rapist and arsonist. Um, but that my feeling was that he stalked Mary um, for a few days prior to, found her to be um, an easy target um, because she was small in stature. She was, you know, blonde and pretty. Um, and he probably thought all he had to do was flash his gun and get her to cooperate. And when she didn't, I feel like he panicked. And the first shot, um, according to a report that I read, did not kill her immediately. She was still struggling to get away. And that's when he shot her in the back, just to kind of silencer. And then I feel like he jumped in the river. Um, there could have been blood spatter on him when he jumped in the river. <clears throat> um, but um, the river water could have washed that away. He could have gotten rid of the top article of clothing that he was wearing, you know, if he was wearing um, a sweater or something over whatever he was found in, he could have been that could have been, you know, washed down the river. The murder weapon, the Potomac's got a fairly strong current. The fact that they dredged the river and didn't find it, that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, so I intuitively feel he did it. That's my feeling. Um, I don't think it was a another man. I don't think it was some government conspiracy to shut her up. Um, I just think that the poor woman was um, selected at random. I don't think that Crump or if there was another assailant, knew who she was at all. Um, I think that uh, she walked the towpath regularly enough that someone could count on her walking alone. And then she entered a dense patch of woods along that towpath. There was a section where it was fairly dense wood, wooded area. And um, I think he saw his chance and tried to take it. So um, that's my thinking. I just don't feel like there was more to it than that so but his uh attorney dovey first of all fantastic name mm -hmm. i'm totally stealing that and using that because that is just that's a winner name i love it dovey it's almost it's close to lovey right mm -hmm. i love it dovey um brilliant defense sowed a bunch of doubt um i think the critical thing was that Crump was small of stature. He was what, five three, something yes, like that. Supposedly, yeah. So, um, so it also further makes sense why he would use a gun because he wasn't 
you know, a big guy, right? So he needed something to get um, someone to comply and why it wasn't a knife where if he'd chosen a victim, it would have been difficult for him, a slight man of five foot three to overpower even someone smaller than him. Um, so I think the, the gun was uh, purposeful in the assault, like, okay, this is, you know, if I bring in a knife, someone can wrestle me, you know, wrestle it away from me. So he was, I think he was five, three and like 130 pounds roughly. So that's not a, that's, that's, that's not a, a person of a lot of substance there. So um, even though Mary was small, slight, it's not the train, that's the fucking train. All right, Sans, you're going to take over from here for the next 30 seconds. All right. Well, I appreciate your insights on the fact that it was, in fact, the man who was arrested uh, from your intuitive perspective. And um, yeah, maybe back. some. Can you, can you hear it? Yes. So and maybe someday, um, you know, the truth will ultimately come out. I, I know there's a lot of interest around Mary and her relationship with JFK. So uh, now sure. that enough time has passed, maybe more information will come about. We'll yeah. Um, I don't really think so, though. I think that this feels very like a dead end to me. Um, honestly, this doesn't really feel like there's any more to the story that can necessarily be revealed because uh, most of the people connected to this are, are dead. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I think the mystery kind of the mystery, although I don't think it's a mystery. I really think he did it um, kind of dies with her. So, okay. yeah. Um, sorry about the train, guys. I know it's really fucking loud. <laughs> the good news is, is that I'm moving in two months and uh, no more train sounds, which will be wonderful. So I'm kind of excited about that. Um, can we talk for just a second about um, what's going on? Uh, politically and how, um, you know, I, I, I do love being right. I sent out the newsletter. I've never oh. known this about you. This I know. is new, I, new I information keep it really for me. well hidden. Um, I'm so humble. Um, but um, I gotta say, you know, I kind of suspected that there would be indictments kind of raining down in September into the, into the fall. And, um, um, and I think that we're starting to see that come about, which is really interesting. And then the other thing is the passage of the CHIPS Act and the IRA and um, all of this infusion of cash and savings um, being funneled <clears throat> into the economy. Because I have for the past eight months seen all of my clients who have any kind of long-term financial um, portfolios those being rock solid and those growing, um, those getting uh, very, very strong and growing at a, at a fairly aggressive rate. Um, and so this kind of explains to me where the underpinning of the economy to remain strong and robust um, is coming from. So uh, from that standpoint, you know, I'm killing it. <laughs> Maybe not as much as, you know, uh, people who are actually passing these act acts, but um, yeah. So give it up, honestly, give it up to the lawmakers who worked very, very hard to pass both of these landmark legislation um, bills, legislative bills, because uh, I, I really, really, really honestly feel that they're going to help prop up the economy for decades to come. 
this really feels like it's a good thing to me. Right. So yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I got nothing. <laughs> you got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> there was something else that I was like, oh, that came about too. I can't remember what it was. I'll think of it next time. There was something else that I was like, oh, right again. So um, I do love making those predictions. Sometimes they take a little while to kind of come through. Like I think I wrote um, probably over a year ago about how Biden was going to pass a lot of legislation. The um, what was the the big proposal? The uh, Build Back Better bill, mm-hmm. right? And I had said that I didn't think it was going to pass in total, but it would be broken up mm-hmm. and pass in smaller packages. And that's exactly what we're seeing. So, yeah, um, against like all odds, truly you know, a divided Senate um, and razor thin margins in the House and, um, you know, hand it over to, again, these lawmakers who just will not refuse to give up and just kept trying to get this thing passed so that uh, we could invest in our future in a really significant way. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about uh, long-term finances, people's long-term finances and the stability really of the economy. Um, and I'm starting to see a lot of inventory come up for the housing market as well. Um, used to be in, in my neighborhood, you could not find a house at all. There, Nothing was for sale for a couple of years. And now I drive down the street and there's for sale signs everywhere because I think people are like, oh shit, the peak of the housing market is here. Um, and, um, oh, I was, I was wrong on the rate heart on the extent of the rate hike, because I had predicted that it was going to be a quarter point and it ended up being three quarters of a point, which honestly, I think the Fed overreacted. I really do. I think that it could have, they could have done just as well with a quarter point bump. So hopefully they'll bring that back down in the next six months. That's what I'm hoping for, Um, because that hurts. Um, A point and a half interest rate hike, that really, that hurts. That hurts yeah. a lot of people. So um, yeah, I know you're trying to slow growth a little bit and in inflation, um, but I think that's going to happen anyway. I think that's starting to happen anyway. So that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. So uh, that wraps it up. We will be back next week with another PEM podcast. Sandy has gone ahead and written up a bunch of these. So we've got a couple in the, in the pipeline. Yes, I know I'd love you so much. <laughs> I have been writing, I have been writing my ass off, actually. I've been writing about, um, shit, about 20 to 25,000 words a week, um, trying to kick out the next uh, Cat Gilly. And then I've got a couple after that to just hit the ground running on. Um, so uh, it isn't that I've been necessarily twiddling my thumbs. I have been writing just not stuff that feeds this podcast. That is all credit goes to my sister, who is marvelous and wonderful and I sing her praises and it is not nearly enough. I'm telling you, she is a fucking saint and I love her and she's all mine. So, uh, yes, you're my George. You're my friend. I love you and kiss you and hug you and squeeze you. (laughs) That's why I haven't come to visit. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's like hotel California here. You can come, but you will never leave. Yes, I will. No. All right. Plus, she's a really good cook. So, like, there's another incentive to like not let her go. Like, she's an amazing cook. She, my sister is like m- the MacGyver of cooks. I have literally seen her open the refrigerator. I've seen a thing of baking soda, maybe an egg, 
you know, um, a piece of cheese. And this then, is oh, after the twins have raided my refrigerator, oh, right? Voila, it's a dining a gourmet meal is served. And it's like the best fucking thing. Um, Sandy's husband likes to say restaurant quality whenever he's whenever he's eating you know you're in trouble when he's taking pictures of your food it's like stop yeah and sending them to me and i am then you know like dude stop it because i can't have that because i'm 1500 miles away so usually when i show up at sandy's at christmas i bring my own fork i just like i'm ready serve me feed me yeah she's an amazing cook really really amazing so, um, and she's all mine. <laughs> so anyway, I love you. I love you. I love you. And thank you again for this. And, um, we'll see all of you very soon. Thanks for tuning in guys. Thank you. Have a good Take one. Care. All right. Bye. Bye.